Well, we are hoping you had a great time in, in worship. And we love that time of worship where we can just have that experience with our God, just to walk into his presence and just to sing and to praise and to worship and just soak it all in. And we hope that you had that experience here today. Well, today what we are doing is we are wrapping up our discussion that has been around the Spirit. And it's been quite the journey. It's been quite the journey for me to remind myself of all this stuff, to dive a little bit deeper than I normally would regarding the Spirit. And, and it's been a great journey just for me personally. And I hope that you've had that same experience as we just, our, our main goal was to get a broader, deeper understanding of who the Spirit is, not to be afraid of Him, not to be scared of Him, but to embrace Him, to welcome Him, to receive Him into our life. And I really, truly want to thank you for the honor of bringing these messages to you week in and week out. To, just to study this theme of this person of the Spirit has been a privilege beyond words. And I want to remind you that you want to come and join us starting next week because we will be embarking on a brand new journey. And it's a series that we are calling A Way Out. I don't know about you, but I deal with temptations every single day. And there is some strong biblical truth and promises regarding temptation, regarding how we can get out of it, how we can battle against it, how we can respond to it. So we're going to be speaking we're going to be spending the next about four weeks or so looking at temptation, looking at how we can manage it, how we can respond to it, and just looking at a, our, our main theme verse is going to be from 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that God reminds us that we are all tempted. Not one of us can say, I'm never tempted, but we, he reminds us that all of us are tempted. But in the process of that, he provides a way out. So we're going to look at that way out over, the, over these next four weeks. You want to be part of that, and I hope you are. I, just, I remember a story hearing of someone that was caught sleeping in church. Now, I know none of you have ever been caught sleeping in church, and none of you have ever taken a, a power nap in church. I know that, but I remember hearing someone sleeping in church, and... And the person sitting next to this person kind of nudged them a little bit and woke them up. And, and as this person woke up, they said they immediately heard the pastor say, please stand up. So what he did was he immediately stood up and without really knowing what the reason was of why he was standing up. And as soon as he stood up, people just started clapping and cheering and thanking him. And the pastor said these, thank you, Jesus. Do we have another person here in the congregation who will give us another $100,000 for the renovation of our church? Now, I know none of you have ever, ever fallen asleep. He's not the last person to sleep through something holy. We all at one time or another in our life have grown drowsy in our spirituality. Think about that over your life. Maybe at times your vibrancy is replaced by lethargy. Enthusiasm, it fades. And we kind of just doze off. And now I'm not talking about these hard-hearted rebellions, 
these cynics that reject God, that's not really who I'm talking about. I'm just talking about good-hearted saints who just want to do what's right. But they pass through a season of dryness, even a season of hardness, who, who feel that their love wanes, and quite honestly, they feel a disconnect. They keep showing up, and they keep signing up, but there's just something dry about them. There's just something dry inside their spirit. And maybe I'm talking to you here today. And if I am talking to you, then I've got some really great news for you today. That the mightiest force here on this planet is here. He's here to help you through that dryness. His name? The Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at this idea of dryness and, and how we can come out of this dryness and experience life again. But before we do that, let's just take an opportunity and let's just pray together. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this time of worship. We thank you that we have the confidence to step into your presence, not because of anything we've done, not because of how many weeks we've come to church without missing, not because of how many Bible verses we have memorized. We have the confidence to come into your presence because of what your son did for us. So we thank you. Thank you for sending your son to deliver salvation and redemption to us. Thank you for sending your spirit to dwell within us, to reveal Christ, to give us life. And Lord, we just pray for some of these people here today. Lord, we pray for the people that are recovering from one thing or another, whether it's a, a treatment journey, whether it's an injury, whether it's a surgery. We lift these people up. And we know that you hear our prayers. The ones that we speak eloquently, and even the ones that are just groans of the heart, you hear our prayers. And we pray that you will just touch these people with the power and the strength of your right hand. That you will place your healing touch upon them and just heal them. And keep them and sustain them and protect them. Thank you that they can just trust in you. And I pray during this time, Lord, that they will lean into you. Lean into your power. Lean into your endurance. Lean into your patience as they just wait upon the end of this journey. And Lord, that we know that you will make them stronger because of it. We think of Bob Hudson, who's at, these, at this very beginning stages of some kidney failures going on, and we just pray you be with him. You be with Mark, Lord, as they just start responding and, and allowing this to settle in, to sink in. I pray they trust you. Know that you. Let them know that you have gone before them in this process, in this path. That, you're going, that you have and you will continue to place the people in their life that will, that will help them and direct them during this. Give them confidence in you during this journey, Lord. 
Lord, we just thank you for the opportunities we have as a church, and we want, we, we just have a desire to be used by you, to be that living water that just flows out of us. So we ask that your spirit will continue to move in our midst, allow us to see Jesus and only Jesus here today. We pray all of this in his name. Amen. Now, when Jesus was on walking the planet, he described the Holy Spirit, actually. And when Jesus decided to describe the Holy Spirit, he did so in only four words. And I want you to hear these four amazing words. This is how Jesus describes the Spirit. This description is found in John chapter 6, in verse 63, and he says this, the Spirit gives life. The Spirit gives life. Here, here we have Jesus, a member of the Trinity, and he describes another member of the Trinity. And he says, the Spirit gives life. So when the members of the Godhead were at one point divvying up all of these responsibilities, God the Father said, you know what, guys? I'll, I'll take provision. I'll take protection. God the Son kind of stepped up and he said, okay, guys, I'll, I'll take salvation and I'll take redemption. I'll take, I'll take on that responsibility. And the Spirit was able to stand up and say, okay, that's what you guys are taking. Then this is, I'll take revelation and life distribution. Because as we've been learning, one of these main purposes and the intent of the Spirit is to reveal Jesus Christ to us. And as he does, does that, and then after he does that, he gives us life. Full life. Robust life. Energetic life. Renewing life. Life. Now, isn't that what we all need? To be honest, the vast majority of people are actually missing him. In fact, the vast majority of Christians don't even understand him. That's why it was on my heart's desire to, for us to go through an extensive time talking about the Spirit, because the vast majority of followers of Jesus don't even understand the Spirit. In fact, a survey was conducted of people who believe in the Holy Spirit, and it reveals this, that only one in four believe that he is a he. 75% of those who believe in the Spirit describe him as a force, a jolt, a burst of power. Well, no wonder it's so hard to have a relationship with the Spirit, isn't it? Like, who could be friends with electricity? See, the person of the Holy Spirit, we need to understand, is a person. He is. He's a person who hears you, who longs to lead you, He's a person who actually dwells within you. He's a person who actually has an assignment here. Who has a desire. And that one little bumper-sized description, the Spirit gives life. Do you need proof of that? Well, boy, do I have someone for you to meet then. His name, can you guess? Ezekiel. 
The story of Ezekiel could really be given this title. If he had his, his, the title of his biography could be called this, Breath on Bones. Breathe on Bones. That could be the title of his story. And here's why. See, Ezekiel at this time, he was a radical, wide-eyed prophet who served uh, really at times as a thorn in the collective side of Israel. He was always, he was forever on their case, urging them to turn away from these foreign idols and then turn back to their God. But they didn't listen. And consequently, because of that, the nation of Babylon came and they attacked them and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was just left in ruins. And all the people in Jerusalem were marched to Babylon in what would have turned out to be 70 years of exile. There, once proud Hebrews, they were devastated. And from their place in exile, here was their declaration in their place of exile. This is what they say. Our bones are dried up. Our hope has gone. We are destroyed. So this is, you got to imagine, this was a pretty dark chapter in the history of ancient Israel here, right? And there's this prophet by the name of Ezekiel. And through that prophet, we're going to find that God spoke. And this is what he said to them. In Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 24, and I'm reading from the message paraphrase, and this is what it says. For here's what I'm going to do. So this is God speaking. I'm going to take you out of these countries, gather you from all over, and bring you back to your own land. I'll pour pure water over you and scrub you clean. I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I'll remove the stone heart from your body and Replace it with a heart that's God-willed, not self-willed. I'll put my spirit in you and make it possible for you to do what I tell you and live by my commands. You'll once again live in the land I gave your ancestors. You'll be my people. I'll be your God. Did you notice who was very active in this promise? It was God, right? God delivers. God performs the heart transplant. God visits the people. God rescues the people. God creates the desires in the hearts of the people to do his will. Now, do you find this maybe to be a stunning assurance to give people who were just taken into captivity? Well, apparently Ezekiel did because the very next event was a big field trip. It was a field trip to where? the valley of bones. Now, we're going to spend the rest of our time in Ezekiel, and we're going to be spending it in Ezekiel chapter 37. So if you, are, you have your Bibles, I do encourage you to turn to Ezekiel 37. Um, and this is where we're going to start. We're going to start in verse 1, and this is what it said. God's Spirit took me up and set me down in the middle of an open plain strewn with bones. He led me around and among them a lot of bones. There were bones all over the plain, dry bones, 
bleached by the sun. We're just going to stop there for a moment. Death Valley, it definitely was. He says bones were just everywhere that he looked. No life was to be found anywhere here. No musicians singing, no children playing, no dancers dancing, only bones. While Ezekiel was looking at this valley of bones, God asked him the question of the hour. And he said this, can these bones live? Can these bones live? What a question, right? I've, I've never been in the valley that Ezekiel had visited, but I have sat with someone who has told me their life has no meaning. I've never walked the valley of bones, but I've listened to a suicidal teen. I've never stepped through fields of femurs and rib cages, but I've talked to someone whose life was rubbed raw by addiction. I haven't gazed at acres of fleshless forms, but I have witnessed the high and mighty, once proud, left wordless at a funeral, not knowing what to say at the unwelcome reminder that that a grave awaits us all. I have not found myself ankle deep in dry bones, but I have looked in the mirror, and I've seen a pastor whose faith has run dry, and he wonders, is this hard heart ever going to soften again? The question is asked, can these bones live. See, Ezekiel was a man of vision, but not even Ezekiel had enough vision to venture an answer, so he defers. Listen what he says. Um, as, as, God, as God asks that question, he says, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. You alone know. So, the Lord gives a command to Ezekiel. And we read about it starting in verse 4. And this is what he says. Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am your God. So here we have Ezekiel is told to stand and look over this valley, look over this valley of dry bones, of death, and prophesy over it as to welcome the Holy Spirit to come and, and bring a miraculous work. And he did. He did. As he prophesied, guess what happened? He began to hear something in the distance. He he started to hear a a grand rattling. Over here, he started to hear bones clicking and reconnecting. And over here, he started hearing, he started to observe and see the sinews appeared out of nowhere and started to hinge the joints 
skin started to spread and reflesh the skeletons. And this ravine of bones that he's looking over has now become a collection of bodies. But the bodies still have no breath. There's no evidence there of beating hearts. So God told Ezekiel to let loose another proclamation. This is what he says in verse 9. Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. We may have brains in our heads, We may have tongues in our mouths. We may have chins and shoulders and knees and legs and fingers. But if we do not have the Spirit of God, we do not have life. Did you miss that? If we do not have the Spirit of God, we do not have life. We don't. We just become a stack of bodies. And we zombie about clueless as to the meaning of life, trying to figure out where we're going, where we're headed. Bumping into each other. Hurting people, causing pain. Absolutely clueless. Because of the lack of the spirit, there's lack of life. See, we may appear as if we have life when we come into church and we have our best clothes on, we, we put our best face on, we come and we may appear as if we have life, but apart from the Spirit, there is no life. Jesus says, remember, how he described the Spirit. He gives life. Apart from the Spirit, there is no life. The flesh is of no avail apart from the Spirit of God, unless we miss this message, unless we've missed it. God actually gives the punchline. In verse 14, and he says this, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it, declares the Lord. And did he ever, right? Those people exiled in Babylon, they repopulated the city of Jerusalem. He returned them to their land. And he did it again. Those spread all over the world were returned to their land in 1948. He kept his promise. Those people were given their land again, and God will do it again. He will populate this earth with his kings, his queens, his children. We understand. Do we not? That this life isn't about this life. But the life that is to come. See, our God is a God who takes people out of captivity and promises them. And simply urges us to lift up our eyes. And look into the future. Because what the Spirit did then, the Spirit does still. This is not a midlife crisis you're dealing with. This is not a grumpy mood that you're just passing through. This is not going to be solved just by purchasing something new. 
We're talking about when God does healing, he goes deep, deep, deep into your spirit and into your soul. And he does what the best counselor, the finest pastor, the wisest psychologist cannot do. He brings life. It is not his will that you you live and lead a lifeless life. And it's not his will that you try and find living water through broken cisterns. It is his will that you turn to him and him alone and let him give life. That dry marriage, he can enliven it. Dead in your career, he can breathe on it. Scattered remains of yesterday's dream, the Spirit of God can reassemble and rekindle bones and turn them into living beings. It simply falls to you, to me, to be an Ezekiel. And I know what you're thinking. In fact, anticipating you might give me some pushback on the idea of being an Ezekiel, I made a sub-point of it. Me? Ezekiel? Yeah. I'm talking about simply a willingness to do what Ezekiel did, and that is this, to invite the Spirit into the dry and dead patches in your world, in your life, in your heart. See, the story of Ezekiel in Death Valley is so dramatic, we might miss a stunning element of this all. The stunning element of this miracle, and that is this, Elijah was invited to invite it. Ezekiel was invited to invite it. See, the miracle happened because Ezekiel obeyed. He was told to prophesy. What if he would have refused? Would the wind have blown? I don't think so. What if having been told to prophesy or welcome the Spirit of God over that dry place, and what he would have said, what if he would have done it like, ooh, ooh, ah, yeah, that's a little bit too out there for me. It's kind of beyond my comfort zone. What if he said, I've blown it in life, I've messed up, I've sinned, I'm a failure? See, he could have come up with thousands of excuses, kind of like maybe you and me, (laughs) how we do that often, but he did it. He didn't have any excuse. He was obedient, and look at what happened. Okay, Lord, you say prophesy? Okay, come on, Spirit. And this is what he did. In total reverence and obedience, he said, welcome, Spirit. Welcome, Spirit. The Lord said, speak. And when he spoke, that which was dead came to life. The best way I can think of to wrap this whole journey, this whole bit of discussion up is by saying this. Speak. Speak. Speak over the dry parts of your life. Speak over your dry marriage. Speak over the dryness that you find in your heart. Speak over your kids, over your grandkids. Speak over your job, 
Speak in your house. Speak in your neighborhood. You be the one that walks around saying, Welcome, Spirit. You are welcome here, Spirit. Could it be that simple? Could it? Because the thing is, we tend to complicate this matter of receiving the Spirit, don't we? We create books. You have to do this step and this step, and you have to purchase this and do this, and and this person needs to do this. There's books and books about that. And from the get-go, we we have said that the Spirit is not a computer that needs to be programmed, but simply a person, a relationship that we need to nurture. Was this not the point Jesus made in the upper room? Because we find this this amazing thing where he exhaled, they inhaled. On the day of the resurrection, that first Easter Sunday in the upper room, Jesus appeared to them. And he says this in John chapter 20, verse 19. Remember, the doors were locked because the disciples were in fear of the Jews. And it says that Jesus came and stood among them right in the middle and he said, peace be with you. And he said that three times. Peace be with you in their brief encounter there. But then having given the peace, I want you to look and listen to what he actually gives them after that. Picking picking it up in verse 23, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me. Even so, I am sending you. And look at what he does. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. And he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. The same breath that came upon that valley of dry bones now comes and begins to enliven these apostles and you. He breathed on them. He gave them this invitation. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. See, there's no conditions here. There's no prerequisites. There's no hoops that you have to jump through or hurdles you have to climb over. Jesus breathed upon all of them. All of them. And remember, these are people that denied him, ran from him, and all of that stuff. And he breathed on all of them. And he gives them this simple command. In verse 22, and he, listen to how another translation puts it, puts it. It says, Jesus breathed on them and said, Welcome, the Holy Spirit. It's as simple as that. Welcome, the Holy Spirit. Just welcome, the Holy Spirit. And sometimes in these discussions, I've, I'm asked, is there really a second baptism of the Spirit that I have to do even I've been baptized by water? Like, do I have to be baptized in the Spirit? And I say, yes, be baptized a second time, a third, a fifth, a tenth, a hundredth. In fact, let every minute be a moment in which you are being baptized, in which you are being doused, in which you are being covered with the Holy Spirit, in which you are inhaling he, he whom Christ exhales. No gimmicks here. No holy oil needed. You don't have to go to the wailing wall. You don't need to dip into the Jordan River. You can if you want, but you don't have to. But where you are right now, 
will do just fine. If you want to go to some big cathedral, go ahead. But your closet is just as good. All that matters is that you say this, Lord, come. Come and bring life into this life. I welcome you. I receive you. And you know what? It's one thing to sleep through a worship service or even a sermon. Hopefully you're not sleeping yet. But it's something else entirely to sleep through an entire lifetime unaware of communion with the Holy Spirit. He is your unfailing friend. He is the ally of the church. He is the revealer of Christ. He is the anointing oil who softens our hearts. He is the wind in our sails. He is the one who secures us for eternity. He is the one who takes the groans of our heart and turns them into words of poetry. He is your friend. Let me finish this by saying this. The same words that Jesus said to his apostles, receive him right now, today. Welcome him in to your life today. And watch how as you speak, you can bring dryness and death back to life. Maybe in your life and in the life of the people around you. So would you, with an earnest and and an honest heart, an obedient heart as well, just welcome him in. Welcome the Spirit and allow him to do what he needs to do in your life. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your spirit to lead us, to guide us, to reveal Jesus to us. And as we've seen today, to give us life. Thank you that without the spirit, there is no life. And that you can use us to speak life into people's dryness in their own life in their own hearts, in their relationships, into their jobs. But first, I pray it starts with us. Just as your son breathed onto their apostles and say, receive the Spirit, we want you to breathe on us, and in turn, we will welcome and receive the Spirit here today. Use us in a mighty and miraculous way. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.